Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Uh, we are in a series called Seven Words. And uh, pop quiz, how many of you remember what word we started with on week one? You don't have to be rude. Okay, yeah. We started with the power of the word no, all right? And then uh, the second week, we uh, looked at the power of the word yes. And then last weekend, we looked at the power of the word sorry, all right? And uh, I am sorry that the Cowboys lost last weekend. So today, we're going to talk about the word loser. All right, no, we're not. We're not. Um, <laughs> But they have been kind of, you know, off and on, and so we're going to pray for them maybe at the end of service. But um, to kind of set up the word we're going to talk about today, uh, how many of you have heard of the, the book, The Five Love Languages? Okay, yeah, oh, wow. Okay, so you guys really care about your wife's love language, all right, or your spouse's love language. Um, as much research as I think they did like 20 years ago for that book, they failed to get my wife's love language correct, all right? They did not get it correct. Um, and I, and I, I figured that they would get it right, but they didn't because um, even though she likes um, gifts, um, it's not her love language. And even though she likes physical touch, it's not her love language. Okay. And, and we're talking about her, not me. Okay. But anyway, um, even though she likes um, uh, quality time, right, it's not her love language. And, and she likes words of affirmation, but those things are not her love language. Her love language is Quality food, all right? It is food. Oh, we got some people up in here. Okay, like this, we're in Texas now. I mean, we like some food in here. And so I know that because we can be in an argument and I could literally, while we're arguing, go, do you want to go out to dinner? And she's like, okay. And I'm like, hey. And the next thing you know, it's, it's we're fine. We're fine. And so that is her love language. It's crazy how that works. The thing is we can eat and eat and eat. And what we say is, we'll finally say, I'm full, I've had Enough. And so that's the word we're going to talk about today, the power of the word enough. And so, um, you know, it's interesting because when it comes to food, um, after about three or four hours, at least for me, I find out that I am hungry again. And so it's like never enough, right? And so uh, actually a lady by the name of Brene Brown, you might have heard of her. She wrote a book called Daring Greatly. In her book, she says the mantra of our day is never enough. The mantra of our day is never enough. And so when you go to bed at night, what do you say? I didn't get enough done. And so when you wake up in the morning, what do you say? I didn't get enough sleep. And so when you have a little bit of time, you say, I got time, but I don't have enough money to enjoy it. And when you actually have a little bit of money, maybe when you're a little older, you go, yeah, but I don't have enough time to enjoy it. And I feel like the mantra of our day is really Never enough. And so um, how many of you, by show of hands, how many of you are type A personality? You're a type A. Okay, got a bunch of nerds. Okay, good, good. Um, type A personalities, man, we're like orderly. We need things to be in order. Um, we need things to be aligned, and we're very systematic about things. We're usually achievers and all this kind of stuff. And so um, how many of you have heard of the Enneagram? Okay, wow, not many people. Okay, Pastor, I did not say the, the pentagram. Okay, I said the Enneagram. Enneagram is actually means the number nine, and so there's nine different personality types out there. And I am a type one on the Enneagram. 
And I want you to see what this is. Welcome to my world is all I'm about to tell you, okay? So this is what, by definition of a type one on the Enneagram, ones believe that being strict with themselves and eventually becoming perfect will justify them in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. But by, but by attempting to create their own brand of perfection, they often create their own personal hell. That, that is what happens in my life. I mean, literally trying to achieve and achieve and achieve, and it's never enough. And so we never say enough. And um, the inability to say enough is actually fatal. So how many of you have had a goldfish when you, when you grew up? Okay, you know that you have to feed the goldfish even if you go on vacation, right? Um, but you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, poor goldfish, you're not gonna be able to eat. So what you do is you pour the whole jar of food in the goldfish bowl. And I promise you, he will be dead when you get back because the goldfish is not smart enough to say enough. And it's the same with humans because, uh, Stanford did a research study where they were in Paris, France, and they asked the question all over the world. Actually, they said, um, how do you know when you've had enough food? And so in Paris, France, the average answer to that question was, when, I've, when, I'm, when I'm full. I mean, that's a normal answer. Not in America. We don't answer it like that. The average person in America says this. They, they say this. It's so funny. They say, um, when it's all gone or when the TV show I'm watching is over. That's when I know that I've had enough. It's pathetic. And so today I want to talk about the power of the word enough. I believe God wants us to learn how to say enough in our lives. So look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor enough. Look at your other neighbor that you don't care as much about and say, I've had enough, about enough of you. All right. So (laughs) enough, enough. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And uh, we are going to look at a story in the Bible. Many of you have heard this story. um, And it's, it's a man by the name of Zacchaeus where he learned about the power of the word enough. Um, How many of you have heard of Zacchaeus in the Bible? Okay, most of you have heard about Zacchaeus. And uh, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. I'm gonna read just really eight verses. It's it's a small story. But Luke 19, verses one and two says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. All right, so we know a few things, a little background about this story. You gotta understand this. He was wealthy, we know that. Uh, he's a, not just a tax collector, but he is the chief tax collector. Um, and we know that he was motivated by money. It doesn't specifically say that, but if you understand the story, if you understand the history in, that, in those days, he had to be motiv- motivated by money in order to be a tax collector because in those days, Israel was occupied by Rome. And the Romans, they wouldn't kick the Israelites out. What they would do is they would keep them there and they would tax them heavily. And so you had to have tax collectors to collect all of the taxes. And so these guys were corrupt, though, because the Israelites would go up to the tax collectors like Zacchaeus and they would say, hey, don't tell the Romans about all my money. Don't tell them about all my land because they'll tax me like crazy. And so they would say, oh, I won't tell them, but you're going to have to give me some hush money. And so they'll bribe them. And then they would often go tell the Romans anyway. So these tax collectors were hated by the people. So that's just to kind of set up where, what people thought about Zacchaeus. Uh, verses three and four says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed to a, a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Okay, a few things that were very unusual, rich 
wealthy people in those days very rarely ever ran. And here's why. They wore robes, all right? And so back in those days, it would be really weird to see a rich, wealthy man running. And it would be really, really weird to see a rich, wealthy man not just running, but climbing up a tree. It's just very odd. Um, And then it says that he was short. So how many of you grew up in Sunday school? A lot of you. Did you guys ever sing the song about Zacchaeus? How did it go? Wee little man and a wee little man was he. Sycamore tree. See, y'all, I don't even know the second line. I mean, y'all, I mean, I just know he's a wee little man and a wee little man was he. That's what I knew. Um, And so we all know that he's a wee little man. I think people made fun of him because he was a wee little man. And I think that's one of his motivations for having, wanting and to having a a lot of money. Because, man, you're going to make fun of me over here. Guess what? I'm about to buy you out, okay? I mean, I don't care how little I am. And so I think he was probably motivated by money. It's crazy. And so you have, you have Zacchaeus, who's a, a tax collector. He's up in a tree. He's not in the tree just to get a good view of Jesus. He's actually up in the tree. He's hiding from everyone, but he's too short to see because people would make fun of him if they knew he was up in a tree. And so he's hiding. He doesn't want anyone to see him, but he still wants to see Jesus because he's heard stories about Jesus. And he knows there's something about Jesus. He's got to see this man. And so he goes up in a tree. And then this is what it says, Luke 19, 5. Jesus does something so unexpected. Verse 5, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And it's crazy. Here's Jesus walking through people everywhere to the point where Zacchaeus can't even see him to the point where he has to go up in the tree. And Jesus just goes, I see you. Come down off the tree. And it's crazy. Verse verse 6 says, I must stay at your house today. So Jesus is saying, not only come down, but I'm going to stay at your house. So he came down at once. And he welcomed him gladly. The truth is, I believe, that we all have a bit of Zacchaeus in us. You may not be short. You may not be a tax collector and wealthy. You may not run around wearing robes, climbing trees. But the truth is, I believe we're all missing something in our life. I think that's what was happening to Zacchaeus. The money wasn't enough. This stuff wasn't enough. I got to see this man. I've heard, I've heard about what he can do. And so he's trying to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. And I believe we're all in some way in a place where we feel like we're missing something. And I want you to know today that Jesus is walking by and he sees you and he spotted you. Today, I've been praying all week. The Holy Spirit would speak through this message He has spotted you, and he sees you, and I hope that's therapeutic for you, that you know that God sees you, and he knows exactly where you are. It's so powerful. And then they're really like, really, Jesus, of all the places you could have gone in Jericho, you're going to go to Zacchaeus' house, the sinner's house, the tax collector's house, of all the places. You could have gone to a rabbi's house. It's funny because verse 7 says this. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What's interesting is in the New Testament, this is the only place in the New Testament where all the people muttered. Jesus ticked people off all the time. 
but he would tick groups of people off. So like he'd tick off the Pharisees and he'd make the Sadducees mad. It's the only place in the New Testament where all the people muttered because they hated a tax collector. Collectively, Republicans, Democrats, Sadducees, Pharisees, they hated tax collectors, right? And so, and then this goes to Luke 19, 8. This is the most important verse. This is so powerful. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What? What just happened? I mean, I don't even understand this because literally all that happened was Jesus was telling him to come down off the tree. The next thing you know, he's in his house. And then the next verse we have, literally the next verse, he's just given half away to the poor. I don't understand. What are we missing? Are we, are, is there some scriptures that we missed here? Like, what did you say, Jesus, in the house? Because wouldn't that have been important? Wouldn't we like to know what Jesus would have said in Zacchaeus' house to make him change like that? Because this wasn't just external. This had to have started as an external thing. Something Jesus said that in his house, I would love to know. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that moment. What did he say? And I, I get so frustrated sometimes when I'm studying scripture. I'm like, God, why wouldn't you tell us what you said to him? Because it would change so many people's lives. And you know when you're, you're watching a good movie and it goes to commercial right at the climax of the movie and you're like, no. And that's, I feel like that's what's happening here. But I don't know what he said. But I believe he explained the power of the word enough. I don't know exactly what he said to Zacchaeus in that house that I would love to be a fly on the wall at. But he came out so changed. I believe he explained to him the power of the word enough. And I don't know what he said. But I know this about my own life. God rarely treats the symptoms in my life, and he goes after the root issues. So I don't know what he said, but he was obviously going after a heart issue in Zacchaeus' life. And so this is where I think Christian preaching and teaching gets off because so much of it is about behavior modification. And I promise you, Jesus is not in heaven just going, man, I wish you quit doing that. When you quit doing that, I'll love you. He's not doing that. It's not about changing the behavior. It's about changing Zacchaeus from the inside out. God is about changing you from the inside out. And so we get frustrated with God because we don't have our finances right. And we're like, God, would you just get my finances right? And God's going, I'm not just going to drop money in the mailbox. It's never happened to me. It's never happened to me. God is always working through hard issues. And so, so many times, like, we get frustrated because, like, when I was a kid, I got caught stealing and, and I was a, a little thief running around the neighborhood. I mean, I was stealing this from this store and this store and this store. And I finally got caught. And they, had to, they called my mom. And I was like, you can call anybody, but not my mom. Like, because she would scrape me, cut me in church. What would she do outside of church? You know, like, this is going to be bad. And so they called my mom. And I remember my mom, when she picked me up, my mom didn't really say anything to me. And we sat in my, in my room. And I'm so thankful that my mom didn't just go off on me. And she didn't just, just lay it into me. She sat in my room and she cried. And she communicated to me that I'm disappointed in you. And then everything within me was like, I, am, I can't believe how disappointed my mom is. And so her motivation wasn't, I'm going to punish you, punish you, punish you. Her motivation was heart change for me. Because if my heart would change, not only would I not want to be a thief, but if I have a heart change now, I'd actually want to be a giver. 
And it's the same with you. Maybe you're married today. Maybe your husband has, has committed adultery or has had an affair. And, and it's so frustrating to you. God, I just want him to stop having, stop having an affair. And that the affair is not the problem. That's not the root issue. If you just go, man, I'm just not, he's never going to have an affair. He's just going to find another way to have an affair. You want his heart to change. You want the motivation to be his heart. Because if his heart will change, not only will he not have eyes for another woman, he'll have eyes only for you. And so it's a heart change. It has to come from the inside out. There's power in the word enough. And I wonder what is Jesus saying to you behind closed doors that no one else is finding out about except for you? What's he saying you need to say enough to? What's he communicating to you? Maybe it's like Zacchaeus. Maybe it's in how you view your money. I know for Zacchaeus, that was, his, that was what he thought was the problem was in how he viewed his money. And so this is the way Zacchaeus, I want to show you how Zacchaeus actually viewed money. And by the way, I'm about to tell you this. What I'm about to tell you relates to every potential root problem that you have in your life. It's not just money. It could be a relationship issue. Uh, it could be a body image issue. But here's what he had. He had a problem with his money. And so he, he, this is what he, Zacchaeus said. He said, this is what I have and this is what I really want. That's what would be enough for me. That would be the perfect life. If I could have, I have this, but this is what I really want. This would be enough. And what you live in when you live like this is in the discontentment zone. You live in discontentment all the time because you're constantly wanting more and wanting more and wanting more. And so you stay, say really stupid things like this when you're staring in your closet full of clothes. I have nothing to wear. Oh, y'all know this? Okay. We have plenty to wear, all right? But we have nothing to wear because it's never enough. You get the word enough? It's never enough. And so what happens is you finally, by the way, get to the enough because you strive and you strive and you strive. And then the line just shifts up. And now that's again what you have. And it just shifted up to a new level of if I could ever go to that level, though, if I could buy that house, if I could get the Mercedes now, all right, that's when I'll have enough and enough and enough. And it's, you stay in the discontentment zone constantly, and enough ends up being this elusive amount that you'll never, ever get to. And it's crazy how that works. This isn't just related to money. This is related to your body. This is related to your relationships. I mean, it's whatever it is to you, apply this to whatever it is. I don't know what Jesus said to him, but I know he spoke to some root issues in his life. And I believe there's some key root issues that all of us need to deal with. And I'm going to tell you two today. And this is the first one. The first one we have to root out is the root issue. We got to say enough to discontentment. Enough to discontentment. Um, your money and your stuff is not your problem. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It is neutral. You can do really good things with money, and you can do really poor things with money. Money isn't your stuff. It is the root issue of discontentment as it relates to your money that is the problem. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So we know that money isn't our stuff. But here's a big word, I think, that, that affects discontentment more than anything. Comparison drives discontentment more than anything in 2018 that I've ever seen. 
with the implementation of social media that we all love and most of us use, it has created more comparison than we could ever expect. And so we get on and we go, man, if I could just look like that person, if I could just get an eight pack, like I don't even know, if, is an eight pack possible? Would some of you, would you like to show me if some of you have an eight pack? I'm just kidding. Uh, but I mean, I have a one pack is what I have, all right? And, it, and, it, and so, I mean, it, like, I don't, I don't even know if that's possible. We're like, if I could just look like that. And so you have all these workout people, and they're like, yeah, if you do it like this, you'll get it like this. No, you won't, all right? That takes six years, all right? You did not just flip a switch, all right? Um, and so that we, we're like, and if I could just marry that person, then my pictures will be beautiful, and I'll be happy. And if I could just, and if I could just, if I could just, and I just stay in the discontentment zone, and you never get out of it. But here's a concoction you never want to mix. You never want to mix comparison with discontentment. Because it always creates one of two extremes that are neither one of them are of God. And the two extremes are either superiority or a feeling of inferiority. And so, for example, and by the way, you can compare in a healthy way. You can go to someone's house when you are content and you can go, man, I love your backyard. It's beautiful. And you can get ideas and you can go, man, I'm gonna, I've really got some ideas of how we can improve our backyard. That's fine. I do it all the time. Okay, I, I do that all the time. What's bad is if you go into someone's backyard and you're discontent. So if someone has a nicer backyard than you and you are discontent and what you feel when you walk out of there is inferior. If you have a nicer backyard than someone else and you know it, and you are discontent, then you feel superior. Neither one of them are of God. My wife took me one time to, have you guys ever heard of this Street of Dreams or it's like Showcase of Homes? These are like these multi-million dollar like communities and you're going in, you're like, what do you do? Like, I don't even understand, okay? You can't, this is, you're like a doctor of three different things here. Like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm walking in and I must have felt discontent. Because when I walked out of that place, I felt about this big. Like, I felt so inferior, right? And I was just like, oh, my word. And so you have to be so careful about, about mixing comparison with discontentment. 2 Corinthians ten twelve says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So what's the answer to discontentment? I want to give you one verse I think is so powerful. Psalms 37.4. Psalms 37.4 is one of the most powerful but misapplied verses to comparison and discontentment. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord for he shall give you the desires of your heart. What he's saying, if you read all of chapter 37, it's all about if you'll trust and be content with where God has you. If you'll trust right now in where God has you with your money, if you'll trust right now with where God has you in your relationship, if you'll trust right now with where God has you in what car you're driving, if you'll trust right now with where you are in the fact that you have a teenager and the hell will end. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have a teenager in here right now. Okay. It's, it's nothing but heaven. I'm just saying it's not hell. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying is, is will you trust God? And what he's saying is if you will trust God where you are right now, you, don't, you will not compare. You'll start trusting God and being content, you will not compare. Here's where most people misapply this verse. They think it says, if I will love God and serve God, then he'll give me what I want. 
That's not what that says, because I love and serve God, and I wanted to win the lottery of $1.6 billion. And apparently, he did not give it to me, because we didn't win, did we? Now, we didn't even buy a ticket, so we didn't have a chance to win. But my point is, my point is, you all, some of you did, and some of you didn't. You probably love God, and you did not get it, right? That's not what that verse is saying. What it's actually saying is, if you will be content with where God has you, if you will serve God, you will delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you, put it another way, he will put in you the right desires, He will align your desires with his. You will have no reason to compare. He will have you content. And so I believe, I don't know what Zacchaeus was told by Jesus behind closed doors, but I know he spoke to his heart. And I know he said you have to say enough to discontentment. I believe the second thing he said, he he said he had to have said to him was you have to say enough to selfishness. Enough to selfishness. Again, apply this. Maybe this isn't money. Maybe this is your body image. Maybe this is in your relationships. I don't know what it is, but he said enough to selfishness. And verse 8 is one of the most powerful verses. Circle it, underline it, star it. Verse 8 is so powerful, it starts, he said, but Zacchaeus stood up. Now, it was not unusual in those days for a person who was hosting someone in their house to stand up. They would normally stand up at the table and they would honor and give respect to their guests. But that's not what he did. Zacchaeus had such a fire in his bones. He had such, so much coming out of him. He had to say something. He had to do something. It's like he was like, no, I've got to say this. I've got to stand up and communicate this. And, and it, there was exclamation points in this scripture. So he's actually yelling. He's actually communicating this as a, from a yelling standpoint. He says, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now. In other words, look, Lord, here now. Enough is enough. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm putting a stake in the ground. Enough is enough of how I've lived and how I've been crooked and how I have wronged people. Enough is enough. Look, Lord, here now. I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Oh my gosh, what a, what a statement. What a powerful thing. And you know everyone in there was just stunned. His wife was like, we didn't even talk about it. His kids were like, does that mean we're not going to get a camel for Christmas? I mean, you know, they're just like so mad because no one, he just stood up and said it. It's crazy. I'm giving 50% away. I believe that 50% with you is more important than 100% without you. It's crazy. He finally gets it. Something happens between verse 7 and 8. I don't know what God said, but it finally changed his life. And this is the illustration, I believe, of what happened to him. It all of a sudden changed. Now, this is what I have, and this is all that's enough. This is what that is enough, and the difference is now not the discontent zone. It is the generosity zone. And so he learned to stay in the generosity zone. And Zacchaeus learned to say enough to selfishness. He learned to say, this is not all going to be about me and me and me. As long as you're all about you, you won't be happy. You will never be content. Even if you could get yourself exactly like you want, even if you could get yourself to the place where you're the perfect size and you have the eight-pack, if it's possible. If it is, email me because I'd like to know. All right, but, but I don't know. Maybe if you can marry the right person, you can get the right income. If you All these things, it would still never be enough, and here's why. You were designed by the giver of life to give your life away. 
You were designed and created in such a way that you will never find fulfillment until you learn to give your life away. Isaiah 58, 10 says, and if you, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, if you do this, it's an if-then statement. If you do this, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Happy is the person who gives their life away. How many of you have heard of the Dead Sea? Okay, most of us have heard of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is given its name because it is dead. Okay, so it's dying, all right? That's where it gets its name. And so it, the, there's no secret of how it gets its name because the truth is the Dead Sea has water pumping into it from the Jordan River. But it's in such a low part of the earth that nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. Everything flows in, nothing flows out. That's why you see people floating on the Dead Sea because of all the salinity. Nothing is, it's not giving away anything. Everything is just staying in the Dead Sea. What's a mystery about the Dead Sea is it's not just dying, it's actually shrinking. It's actually every year it's going down. And so I have a picture of it actually showing that it's actually shrinking every single year. And they're pumping in thousands and thousands of gallons into the Dead Sea every year to try to save the Dead Sea But what's so crazy is 87 miles north of the Dead Sea is a sea called the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is beautiful. They're skiing on the Sea of Galilee. It's alive. If you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, it's amazing. The only difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is that the Sea of Galilee has water pumping in and flowing out. The water from the Sea of Galilee is actually what is flowing into the Jordan River, into the Dead Sea. And the mystery is how on earth could the Sea of Galilee be thriving and be beautiful when the Dead Sea is actually shrinking? It doesn't make any sense when all it does is have water coming in. And what I'm trying to say is if, all, if you don't figure out how to give your life away and all you do is receive and receive and receive and it's all about you and you and you and it's all about the next have and the next have and the next more, more, more. You will become like the Dead Sea and your life will all be about me, me, me. And you never learn to give it away. What you'll actually do is shrink. You'll get smaller and smaller and smaller. So I'm closing with this, but I want you to know my heart, my prayer, my dream, what I was praying for when I was preparing this message is that we would be like Zacchaeus and we'd have one of those moments where we stood up And we said, here now, enough is enough. What I have been doing all of my life, I've got to change. I've got to move. I've got to react. I've got to have a heart change. Something has to happen. And so I don't know what that thing is for you. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not about your money is not your root problem. Maybe your situation, maybe your issue is about your image. I think in Mansfield, Texas in 2018, your image is a big, big deal. Maybe this is about your relationships. Maybe maybe this is about your body. I'm not asking you to hate your money. I'm asking you to say enough to discontentment as it relates to your money. I'm asking you to say enough to selfishness as it relates to your money. I think it would be amazing if you looked a little bit more like the Sea of Galilee than the Dead Sea.
wouldn't it be beautiful if your life was like a conduit that flowed in and out, in and out? You were created by the giver of life to give it away. Don't you think he created in such a way to make you thrive if you would do that? Part of the problem with having a heart attack is your heart is clogged. You cannot thrive when your heart is clogged. My dad's had two heart attacks, almost died twice. They take a new vein from the leg and they put it in his heart. He now has a free flow again. He's able to thrive. You're having a minor heart attack when all you do is take in. You gotta learn how to let it flow through you. I'm not asking you to hate your house. I'm asking you to be, to say enough to discontentment and enough to selfishness as it relates to your house. What would it look like instead of saying, I hate my house. Gosh, I wish our house looked more like theirs. What would it look like if you opened up your house to a life group and said, I'm gonna let it flow through me. I may not love everything about my house, I want a pool in the backyard. <laughs> I want I want a three-car garage, okay? Like, I do I do two, okay? Mine's way too little. Um, but what, it, what would it look like if we could use our house in such a way where it served other people? I'm not asking you to hate your body. Man, get the eight-pack if it's possible. I don't know. Lose some weight if you need it. Some of you need to gain some weight. I'm just saying, okay? But what I'm saying is, Say enough to discontentment as it relates to your body. Say enough to selfishness as it relates to your body. Do you know the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? What would it look like if you were losing weight, gaining muscle, getting healthy, not for that guy? Not so you could post it on Instagram, check it out but because you wanted to be healthy so you could serve the kingdom of God for a long, healthy life. I think you'd look more like the Sea of Galilee than the Dead Sea. Wouldn't that be amazing? So I don't know what what he's saying to you. And I just wonder, I was kind of of praying about this and I was asking God, I said, God, why didn't you let us know what was happening between verse seven and eight? Why didn't you give us a few scriptures of what you said to Zacchaeus between seven and eight because obviously it changed his life. What would it look like if you would have told us? I think it would have changed a lot of people's lives. Here's what the Holy Spirit said to me day one as I was studying this. He said, what I said to Zacchaeus was not as important as the invitation that Zacchaeus gave me. Go back to the story. Zacchaeus climbs the tree. He's got to see Jesus. He's hiding from everyone. Jesus stops by and says, I see you, Zacchaeus. Come down immediately. I want to go to your house. Jesus is always saying that to you. He's, he, he sees you right now. He sees you. And he's saying, I want to come to your house. I know that because Revelation 3.20 is one of the most powerful scriptures, scriptures out there. Revelation 3.20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's always knocking. He's always knocking. He always sees you. He sees you right now. He saw you last week. He sees you when you're frustrated. He sees you when you don't have enough money. He sees you when you're, when you're angry. He sees you when you had the divorce. He sees you. He sees you. He knows the car doesn't work right. He knows. He knows. Will you be will you be content right now because he sees you he sees you he sees you but the power isn't in that because we already know that 
The power is what we overlook in this story that's so important. He says, I see, I see you come down. I want to come to your house. And this is where it normally stops. But what Zacchaeus said was, I welcome you gladly. Zacchaeus had to actually make the invitation because he's always at the door knocking. One of the most powerful names of God is so simple, it's two words. It's the I am. It's the I am says I am. I am what exactly? I am whatever you need. I am whatever you're not. I am your father when you need a father. I'm your mother when you need a mother. I am your husband when you need a husband. I am the person you can lean on when you need to cry on someone. I am enough. And so I wanna end with this and I wanna, I wanna pray over you. enough is not a thing enough is a person in your life you want to get enough you invite God into your life I don't even know what he's going to tell you but obviously to God that wasn't as important as the invitation if you'll invite the presence of God into your life he will change you from the inside out the behavior will change because of the inside heart change Let me pray over you. And if I could have our prayer team, actually, if you stand up with me, I wanna pray a dismissal prayer over you. If I could have our prayer team come down, I'd love to give you an opportunity. Once I say amen, I wanna give you an opportunity to to have our prayer team pray over you. And I don't know what these issues are in your life, what you're struggling with, where your root issues are in your life. But maybe you need someone to pray with you, not just pray over you, but pray with you, lay hands on you. We believe in the power of prayer. So would you just pray with me as I just pray over every family? Lord, I I wish I could lay hands on every family here, God. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus that this word enough would resonate with every person. And so I don't know if it's money. I don't know if it's in their stuff. I don't know if it's in their body. I don't know if it's in an image. I don't know if it's a health issue. I don't know what it is, but you know exactly what it is. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be enough for every person here, God, that you would be the restorer, that you would be the redeemer, that you'd be the healer for every situation in this place, God. Lord, may we look a little bit more like the Sea of Galilee as we leave today than the Dead Sea, God. May we learn to let our bodies be in our minds and our hearts and our finances be a a conduit that flows through us and not just to us, God. Lord, I pray for healing over every person in this place. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I just wanna give you that opportunity. And I'm gonna pray just a quick prayer. And I'm not gonna ask you to do anything weird, but if you say, that's me on that tree, and I didn't know Jesus could actually see me, and he's pointed to you and he said, I see you. I wanna come into your house. If you say, I wanna invite him in today, if that's you, just raise your hand. I'm just gonna say a quick prayer over you. you. Is that you? If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you. I'm gonna take just a moment. If that's you, just raise your hand so I can pray over you. And just pray this prayer in your heart. Say, Lord, I I need a savior. I am in need of a savior. And so God, I ask that you would come into my life from this point forward. God, you are enough in my life. Where I am weak, you are strong. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would resonate all throughout my life from this point forward. The Bible says if you believe that with your heart and you confess that with your mouth, that you are saved.
Lord, I pray a prayer of blessing over every family in here. May we always know that you are enough. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we give God just a big hand for his word today? Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.